Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome everyone. As a reminder, this is day number two of the tour. And we visited early in the morning Herodion National Park and we talked about the reign of Herod the Great. And then after that, we drove all the way to the shepherd fields and we learned about the culture, the custom and the context of scripture related to the sheep and shepherds. And now we are on the bus heading all the way to Bethlehem. And as soon as the bus arrives to the center bus station in Bethlehem, by the way, all the buses are required to park at the central bus station. Just for organization purposes, imagine hundreds of buses in high seasons come every day with thousands of tourists. And to keep things organized, the Palestinian Authority has built this central bus station to let all the buses to park there and all of the pilgrims have to go all the way up to the church. The distance uh, from the central bus station all the way up to the Nativity Church is like uh, only like 7 to 10 minutes walk. That's all, but it's a little bit up a hill, but it's not very steep. And now all my group is out of the bus and we are walking all the way up the hill. Halfway to the right side, I will point for the group something interesting. They will see a sign called Stars and Bucks. It's not Starbucks, all right? It's Stars and Bucks. It's so funny because they have the same logo, even the same colors, and this is fake news, all right? This is not the real coffee, okay? The group will stop and will be laughing and taking a lot of pictures. And after that uh, humoristic stop, we continue walking all the way up and to the left side is the nativity church and to the right side what we see is what we call the manger square to your right side what you see what we call the manger square that was renovated uh, in the 1998 and year 1999 to relieve the traffic congestion because all the buses used to come all the way to the top and park at that square and it was a lot of traffic with a lot of mess. So in order to be organized, they just made it for pedestrian only. And it is mainly a meeting place for locals and for the towns also for the pilgrims who come. And there are rows of trees you see that provide shade to the people. And there are some benches and you can sit down and relax and fountain and uh, the manger square is an important point 
and place for all Christians, especially in Christmas, celebrating the birth of Christ. There will be here a giant Christmas tree in the center of the square, and this is the traditional spot with at midnight mass and the church of the nativity and they come and they light the tree and a lot of locals and pilgrims and this area the manger square will be so much crowded in christmas day and it will be a great celebration because this is the traditional spot where the locals and the christian communities of bethlehem and pilgrims sing christmas carols before the midnight mass at the church of the nativity. Now the group is standing at the entrance of the nativity church and we are facing the facade. And if you look at the top of the facade, you will see like a triangle roof and a cross at the top of the triangle shaped building. And what you see is from Queen Helena time and Emperor Constantine. And originally the church was built in the 4th century by Queen Helena. And what you're looking at, the top triangle, is remains all the way from the 4th century. You have to understand this is one of the most important churches in the world. And not only that, it's one of the most oldest ancient churches in the world imagine from the fourth century so the church has been standing here from 1600 years dedicating the birth of christ now if you look lower at the triangle shaped building you're gonna see one square uh, entrance and this is an entrance that used to be from the time of Emperor Justinian, the 7th century AD, because there was a Samaritan revolt and the church was destroyed. And then Emperor Justinian came and later made the church smaller and made the entrance all the way out of the uh, Queen Helena church. And he made huge two entrances by the way if you look to the left side you can see part of the arch of emperor justinian and we know from archaeological perspective that during uh, queen helena time for century and uh, later with emperor justinian the church was uh, flourishing and during the byzantine period and it was secure <clears throat> and the church was like opened to everyone and with these big triumphal entrances but later on in the 11th century when the crusaders came there was a, a war with the crusaders and the muslims and what happened as a result of the war the crusaders had shrinked the entrance of uh, the church of the nativity and look lower than the square triangle of the door entrance of uh, Emperor Justinian just lower you're gonna see a gothic style arch and this gothic style arch is from the crusader time so we can see that the security got much more uh, evident in the architecture of the building after the crusaders in general came the Turks and really the church during the turkish time was very bad shape and during the prayer even camels and horses used to come inside the church and the franciscan priest complained for the sultan in constantinople and i will share with you the story because there are so many versions about why the door got smaller and smaller and smaller 
But the story I'm going to share with you is carried from one generation to another generation. I heard the story from my father. My father heard his story from his grandfather and all the way. That is tradition. And there are so many versions of the stories and why the door of the Nativity Church is very small and tiny. And actually, I'm going to tell you the generational story my dad told me and remember i told you my dad was a policeman and also he was a tour guide so we inherited this tradition and this job from generation to generation and the maronized christians really were the first tour guides the maronized christians helped the crusaders when they came here because we're speaking about the crusader history even we spoke about uh, queen helena fourth century you know the first tour guides in the 4th century were Maronites because they were the most educated and they were the people mostly can connect with the Western civilization. Anyway, back to the subject. So, the Franciscan priest in 1500 around, he complained uh, to the Turkish Sultan in Constantinople and the Constantinople Turkish Sultan had sent a faraman. You know what is a faraman, right? A faraman is like a decree. Uh, this is Turkish language, and this decree is like announcement to build a smaller door below the crusader door. You see this square-shaped door? It's very small and tiny. Even when you enter inside, you have to bow down your head. The main reason of building this tiny door is to stop the camels and horses to enter to this holy place, to the church of the nativity. And that was the only way how the sultan can stop that. And you can see how the security situation even affected the architecture of the church. And if you look to the right side of the door, you can see some uh, barracks and you can see some like uh, exposed uh, stones and it looks like a fortress so it became a fortress and not only a church to be protected soon we will enter through this tiny door i'm not aware of any church in the world that is very important but have a small entrance and i want to pay your attention to something when you go inside that door be careful your head and look down there is a marble stone step and on that marble stone step you can see in the middle it's very hollow and you're gonna put your step on that hollow shape and these are the thousands of pilgrims who came here all the way from the fourth century till today imagine thousands and thousands of pilgrims entering from this entrance stepping on this same marble stone and because everyone had stepped throughout the years and so many generations you can see the center of the step is chiseled down so let's join the thousands of pilgrims to enter inside the Nativity Church. We are standing in what we call the atrium, which is the main hall of the church. It's the biggest space of the church, and you can see all the columns, and it's a huge area. And by the way, the atrium is taken from the Latin world, which is the upper chamber through which the bloods enter to the heart. And the artery of the human heart receives blood from the lungs. So it's like the most important chamber that uh, the believers come to receive from the word of God. So it's called the atrium. And this large space, if you look in front of us, we're going to see the Greek Orthodox Church, which is one of the biggest denomination in the Church of the Nativity.
Also, there's a big section uh, which belongs to the Roman Catholic Church. It's called St. Catherine Church, which we're going to see later during this tour. Then I will take the group to the center left side of the floor of the church. And I'm going to show them a renovated piece of the original floor of Queen Helena from the 4th century. And above it, you're going to see the floor, what we are standing on today, is originally from Emperor Justinian. So from this point of view, we can see the two historical periods and archaeological times of the church. Queen Helena, 4th century, and up higher, Emperor Justinian, 7th century. I will point for the group to my left side one of the columns that is holding the church and I will tell them look at the base of the column. You can see this base is very tiny and small. How come all of this heaviness of the church is only on a small base of a column? And I will point for them look down back to the original like height of Queen Helena floor and this base goes all the way down below the floor of Emperor Justinian, all the way down to Queen Helena time. So Emperor Justinian had covered Queen Helena mosaic floors and built another floor on top of us. So he leveled the church up and this is very evident on the columns and the bases of the columns. Next, I will take the group uh, to go and visit the grotto where Jesus was born. It's like a small cave. And usually there are long lines waiting and uh, the, it's worth it to wait. And many groups uh, would like to see the grotto and they wait. And this is the place, the traditional place where Jesus was born. And sometimes we wait for half an hour, sometimes we wait for one hour, and sometimes we wait for two hours. So if it was a long, long line, I will give the group a choice uh, to wait or just I can describe it for them from outside. And I suggest that for them. And uh, the majority, most of the evangelical groups, they will say, no, just we don't want to waste two hours just to go inside the cave, just explain it for us. And by the way, we have been in the shepherd fields inside the cave and it's a very similar cave also architecture wise where Jesus was born. But if we have Catholic groups or Orthodox groups, it's a must. It's very important to Catholics and Orthodox to see the place, to touch the place and pray at that same location. Let me describe for you what you see inside the grotto because I have been there like so many times and there is a flight of uh, stairs that go all the way down to the chamber and to the right side of the cave you're gonna see a 14 point silver star designated at the location of Jesus' birth. Of course, it's not the same, same location, but it's lower than the star, probably, and at the bottom of the cave. But the cave is so much decorated with lines of marble and a lot of uh, oil lamps by the Greek Orthodox Church. By the way, the 14-point star shows the three generations of 14 in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel and nearby also the rock there is a left side the manger and this believed that the manger was found to the left side of the cave and to the right side is a greek orthodox uh, 
vicinity belongs to the Greek Orthodox Church and to the left side is the Catholic vicinity belongs to the Catholic Church. And I usually tell all my groups don't let all this decoration mess your understanding up. Christ was born in a simple cave without a home so that all those who were homeless could find a home with God. And I will tell them, I will explain for you the story of the birth of Christ from the first century mindset. And I will explain the story for you, not in the cave, but when we go outside the cave and we're going to have a place to sit down and explain the story. So next, we're going to continue to see the St. Catherine Monastery, St. Catherine Church, inside the Nativity Church, the Catholic section. Who was St. Catherine? She was from Alexandria. And according to the traditional story, in the early 4th century, she was a martyr, one of the martyrs in Christianity. And she was well educated. And at age 18, she challenged the emperor, Maxentius, the Roman emperor, because he was persecuting Christians and worshipping false gods. And she was a martyr in the church. So this church was dedicated for her, St. Catherine of Alexandria. And it's a very, very huge uh, basilica. And you can see the altar in front of us. And you can see the space, a big space. And uh, usually the mass in uh, midnight in 24th of December for the Catholic Church will take place in this location at the St. Catherine Church, or we call it St. Catherine parish or most of the Bethlehem Catholics that come to attend the mass they come to this church and most of the Bethlehem Greek Orthodox Christians go to the, attend the mass at the Greek Orthodox Church to the right side nowadays we don't see any people coming to mass uh, to be more precise not much young generations mostly throughout the 20 years I have been coming to the church I can see only old women coming to to the masses on Sunday and even uh, they just only fill the first, second, third seat. And that's all because the numbers of Christians in Bethlehem is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. There's something very unique I want to show you in uh, the Catholics and Catherine Church. Uh, there is a narrow stairway on the right hand side or where we are standing that leads down into complex of caves and rock cut chambers underground. And this contains a number of chapels, and that includes the cave of St. Jerome, who translated the Bible to what we call the Volgada translation. And there's another chapel called St. Joseph Chapel, recalling the dream in which an angel warned Joseph to take the Holy Family and run away to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill all the kids. And there's another chapel called the Holy Innocents, uh, commemorating the children massacred by Herod the Great. And the most important uh, cave there is San Jerome Cave. And San Jerome had spent 30 years in that cave translating the scripture from Hebrew and Greek into Latin. Sorry, from Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic into Latin. He made friends with uh, people living like rabbis and Jews. He made friends with the Greeks and learned the language. And for the locals, he made friends and he learned Aramaic. And this is the famous translation of the Bible 
known as the Vulgata translation. It remained the authoritative version for the Catholic until the 20th century. Even until today, every Catholic Mass, they use the Bible of Saint Jerome translation. Now I will take all the group uh, all the way back uh, through this small hallway, all the stairs up, and we're gonna pass by St. Catherine Church and we're gonna go outside what we call the cloister. And outside is a square courtyard and there is seatings. And this is where I explain for the group about the birth of Christ in the first century mindset. When everyone is seated, I will open my Bible and start reading from Luke chapter 2, from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in a clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So Caesar Augustus had made a census that everyone have to be registered in the Roman Empire. So when a census takes place, everyone have to go back to his origin. I remember uh, many years ago, the Israeli government made also a census and everyone had to go back to his hometown. And we, all of us, were from the old city of Jerusalem. So all the people from all around went to the hometown inside the old city. By the way, the old city was so crowded because everyone wanted to be counted under the Israeli authority. And that took place recently, like I remember 30 years ago. But imagine, imagine that when the Romans had done this census, that everyone had to go back to his origin. And Joseph was originally from Bethlehem from the town of David. And by the way, when census takes place, they don't count everyone in the Roman time, they count only the men. And imagine Joseph have to leave Mary by herself. And probably Mary was so much upset and saying, look, I'm so tired from the people from the village. I'm so tired from all the people just uh, talking about me when I go the, to the well. They will see my tummy growing and growing and growing. Please do not leave me alone. I want to go with you. Of course, Joseph was a good man, was a just man. He will never say no to Mary. Despite, you have to understand that the trip is so long from Nazareth to all the way to Bethlehem. It's around 10 days trip and they have to walk every day and how they walk through caravans. And when they travel, Joseph will not travel only by himself. He will travel with his tribe and probably will be other people in Nazareth that want to go to Bethlehem to be registered. And it's a long, long traveling. And Mary chose to go all the way to Bethlehem with Joseph, despite she was pregnant. And it's a long trip and it's a hard trip and because she does not want to be alone and probably just i'm going to stretch you a little bit and use my imagination because i'm an author i'm a writer and to use some story languages and probably mary will tell like joseph look joseph 
I am ready to go with you all these 10 days, but please don't take me to your family because I'm tired of the family members. I'm tired from our relatives. I'm tired from everyone just talking about the same story and talking about my tummy growing and growing and we are not yet married. So please do one thing for me. I don't want to stay with your family. I'm tired of all the gossip of the women in the villages. And probably Joseph was like thinking, there's no place where I'm going to go. But I have to go to my family in his mind. So he nodded to her and said, okay, we'll see what's going to happen. And the Bible tells us they were approaching Bethlehem and there was no place in the inn. And by the way, the original original language, the King James, there's no place in the guest room. But if you go back even earlier to the Greek, there is no place in the Kataluma. Kataluma is a guest room in Greek where people gather together and the guests come and sleep and eat. And when there was no place in the guest room, guess what? Mary was so happy because she does not want to stay in the house. And whenever there is no place in the guest room, every, every house in the first century, even just believe it till today, every house below the house or to the right side of the house or the left side of the house, there is a cave. So Mary will be in Bethlehem giving birth to Jesus inside a cave. So forget all these Christmas stories you have in your mind. Forget all this like snow coming down and traveling like uh, in winter conditions. No, we know from the Bible that it took place during the shepherds in the fields. And that was during March and April when all the fields are green and the shepherds go out. So it's not precisely what you're thinking about. And forget about uh, the wooden manger. She will not give birth to a wooden manger for Jesus. The mangers in caves till today we find are from stone, from limestone. So it's a stone manger. And imagine Jesus was born inside a filthy cave with all the dirt, with all these bad smells, with all the manure in a Bethlehem, an unrecognized town, unrecognized cave, unrecognized place. And he should be born in a palace like other kings, but it's upside down kingdom. And imagine that he was born in an unimportant, filthy cave that is not recognized. And think how he was born in our life. We were like the same thing, filthy, unimportant, not recognized. And when he was born in our hearts, he cleansed everything. And he made it so clean and Bethlehem became so important. Uh, by the way, let me tell you what the name Bethlehem means. Beit Lachmo. Beit Lachmo. Beit means a house. Lachmo means bread. The house of bread. And you have to understand and the meaning of the Lachmo in Aramaic. Bread. You have to understand that even today in Bethlehem. And in this part of the world and inside that village, everything is about bread. You will have bread in the morning, bread in the afternoon, bread in the evening. It's an everyday meal. Bread is necessity in Bethlehem and even in the Middle East in Jerusalem because bread brings life. And usually when you eat uh, uh, with a piece of bread, you just make it like a shape of a spoon and you dip with it the hummus or you dip with it the food or 
the egg. So everything is about bread. And when Jesus is born in the house of bread, he became everything for the people. It's like in the first century, it's like a utensil, you use it. Today, it's important to have Jesus in our lives and in our heart in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, every time of the day. It's like the house of bread and bread brings life. Jesus brought life to people. Jesus was not born, as you know, Christmas 25th of December. And you just uh, adopted this date because first in 336, the Emperor Justinian, out of good intention, he wanted to put the name of Jesus over the Roman pagan gods. And there was a festival was called Solo Invictus, a Roman god, a festival. At that time, 25th of December, Solo Invictus means the unconquered sun was the official sun god of the Roman Empire. And the emperor, Constantine, out of good intention, he placed the name of Jesus as God over this festival, over this Roman solo Invictus God, and he celebrated the birth of Christ on 25th of December. It's the birth of the invisible sun, it was called. The day that the sun was the shortest day of the year, and during that day, the sun sets the next day become the longest day in the year. So the sun comes down to the lowest point, and the next day the sun becomes born and alive. And Emperor Justinian had just placed the name of Christ of, of good intention over this festival. And just to tell you, during this festival, the Roman festival, there will be a lot of parties, lights, action, people will get drunk and feel to celebrate all the year. And by the way, the church fathers, early church fathers were against the immorality of these activities. And this later became popular among the Western world, the Roman world. The Westerns are inheritors of a Roman way of thinking. And Christmas uh, like substituted this festival and in Christmas, there's so many people and homes go and get celebrations and get their holidays off and get really to, into parties and celebration. All of that was inherited from the Roman way of thinking. So actually, the 25th of December is not the real date of Jesus' birth. That does not mean you don't have to celebrate Christmas. But what I want to explain for you to celebrate the meaning behind Christmas and how Christians should celebrate it. Let me explain more. I'm going to give you some historical evidences uh, related to the birth of Christ that can help us to date uh, around what year Jesus was born. For sure, we know he was not born at uh, 0 AD, the common era, like exactly with the Roman calendar 2000 exactly years ago. So anyway, we know sources say that Herod died 4 BCE. So 4 BCE is uh, 4 before Christ. So Jesus will not be born on the exactly in the first century. And also we know that Pontius Pilatus ruled from 26 to 36 AD. And so Jesus can't die before 26 or after 36. So that can date for us that Jesus was born around 6 BCE or 7 BCE. Remember, the Herod the Great wanted to kill all the young kids below two years old. So 
that as most scholars agree about uh, 6 and uh, 7 BCE but mostly mostly people say more 7 BCE scholars because because there was a phenomena between Jupiter and Saturn came together over Bethlehem at that year and because the two planets aligned together it looked like uh, their sun was standing still over Bethlehem and there was a sign of a star and by the way that was proved scientifically I don't know how they work it uh, with the orbits they were all the way able to go all the way back and precisely have a record of this phenomena that happens almost every 2000-3000 years when something important happens in the world so most scholars believe Jesus was born around 7 BCE and remember the Magi's they have said we have seen his star in the east and by the way <laughs> recent scholars are saying you know it's not like three Magi's like what people in the west think the Magi's is a tribe so and they will come together in uh, in one tribe they won't travel only three people all the way from Babylon all the way here and the Magi's were the educated people and they were you can say the astronauts of today and uh, according to tradition they come from the east but most scholars saying today the Magi's were Jewish now probably this is a shock for you there were Jews during the diaspora remember they were exiled to Babylon Jews and they were so much educated and they're waiting for signs and they are actually waiting for the Messiah so they will probably have uh, heard about a Jewish king that will be born and they followed uh, they followed uh, the star and uh, they were good and interested in astrology and they came all the way and came to visit Jesus and they probably came through the wilderness of Judea all the way and they went to Herod's palace and uh, Herod's palace location today is in Jaffa gate and basically they told Herod that uh, where is the king a king should be born and Herod was so much jealous and he was so much upset and the Magi's went all the way from Jerusalem all the way to Bethlehem and brought all these gifts to the family of Jesus and you know the story after the Magi's visited Jesus an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream telling him to flee to Egypt with Mary and the infant and baby Jesus because since King Herod would seek and he want to kill all the children and the story of uh, the Holy Family is recorded, uh, recounted in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me read it for you. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And there until I bring you the word, for Herod will seek the young children and destroy them. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And by the way, from where did Joseph have uh, their money to go to Egypt? There is a lot of uh, taxes he have to pay in the way. Of course, from the Magi's, from the gifts of the Magi's and we know that 
Why Egypt? Because Egypt is much more safe than um, the land of Palestine because Herod did not uh, control Egypt. Cleopatra was in control at that time and Herod hated Cleopatra of Egypt. And traditions say that Jesus and his holy family stayed in Egypt and were in Egypt in Alexandria. And why Alexandria? Because there is a big Jewish community in Alexandria and it's a large city and easy to blend in and get lost and Herod can't find them. And the New Testament does not mention actually we're in Egypt, but most scholars say it's Alexandria. And after Herod died, we know the story that uh, Joseph and his family and baby Jesus went all the way back to live in Nazareth. So I just gave the group a glimpse of Jesus' birth in the first century mindset and I noticed they're getting tired. So I tell them, let's have a 10 minute break. And there's a, if you want to use the toilets, you can use the toilets here to the right side. And if you want to take some pictures and 10 minutes break and we will meet together outside at the entrance of the church. When everyone is here, we're going to walk together all the way down to the central bus station and back to the bus and i tell the group there will be a lot of people coming to you and sending you some souvenir and one dollar and all of these souvenirs i just uh, suggest for the group that if anyone approaches you just uh, all of this souvenir we're gonna find next where we're going to the souvenir shop so there will be an opportunity for you to shop until you drop. And many groups love to go and shop in souvenir shops in Bethlehem because uh, the souvenir shops have this tradition from the trees and the olive woods. They do a lot of nativity scenes and a lot of statues. Everything you think about, they are made of this wood. And our next stop is uh, visiting one of these souvenir shops and there are plenty of them and that will be a blessing for the economy and for the Christians in Bethlehem. And then after that, we're going to head all the way back to the hotel to rest. It will be around 6 p.m. for people to have dinner and enjoy their last night in Bethlehem Hotel. Because the next day we're going to check out and go all the way up to Nazareth for another two nights to learn about the childhood of Jesus. I tell the people, please rest well because we have another nine days ahead of us and there's a lot of walking and there's a lot of things to see and there are lots of sights to rest. So try to rest and to get over jet lagged. And by that time, the group will be really, really tired and they wanted to rest and go for dinner. And sometimes I give them the option. If they don't want to go to the souvenir shop, we don't mind at all. We can take them to the hotel and let them rest. There is no obligation to do anything. Just to, we will do what is the best for the group. On the way to the hotel, I will update them what time is dinner and I will update them about the wake-up call tomorrow will be early in the morning, six o'clock, uh, breakfast at seven. And I will recommend for the people before they go down to breakfast, I like them to bring their luggage and put it in the lobby for the billboys to put all the luggage in the bus. And by eight o'clock, all of us will leave. 
I can see all the group is happy and content because they learned a lot of new things today and they learned about the birth of Christ. And I thank them so much for their patience and thank them so much for their teamwork. And I thank them and encourage them to continue to be like this and come on time at each site because it helped us to finish the schedule. And I tell them we will not be rushing from one place to another, but we're going to be like uh, going steadily and i'm gonna go with the flow of the people and everyone is so happy that they are in a journey to the holy land and all their dreams are coming true and the most important thing they are learning so much from the bible so if you enjoyed this podcast and you learned something new please uh, if you can share it with friends or people or members of your church and spread the word about this podcast a virtual tour from the holy land if you like any podcast if you can share the link of the podcast with your friends by email or send them sms message and spread the word about it